0: As Ivor said, my name is Andrew Gommison, and I uh, met Ivor and Dave, um, I think a little over a year ago, maybe a little bit more than that, um, when I was volunteering at Guiding Light Mission. And, uh, um, you know, Ivor is excited um, for you to hear my testimony, but I, I, I really have to break on God a little bit first and and talk a little bit about Thomas' testimony, the man that was spoken of uh, briefly by Ivor, um, because I've never seen, um, in all my uh, time at Guiding Light, I don't think I've ever seen anyone transformed quite to the degree that Thomas was. Um, If any of you listen to FM 91.3, you can hear Thomas... On the weekday evenings. Um, And it's just amazing to think that this uh, man was changed as much as he was. And Thomas is one of my dear friends today. And I would have to say that for me, the best part about working at Guiding Light Mission has been the relationships with others that I've been able to cultivate. Um, Before I get into my uh, testimony, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask that You would be present tonight. We ask that You would be made real in all of our lives tonight. Lord, I don't know where everyone is spiritually, spiritually. Physically, financially, Lord, I don't know what all their needs are, but Lord, You know. And You're already working Your plan out. And Lord, help us to see where we may be part of that. Thank You for the bond that is Jesus Christ. Lord, as Your Word is open, Lord, may Your words and not my ideas Build forth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about a very important question. It's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, and we'll all have to answer one way or another one day, whether we choose to do so now or later, and it's this question, who is Jesus Christ? Now, this has been a very hotly debated topic by many people from many different perspectives. Some people actually care about the answer, and others don't, in fact, care very much about that answer they are more concerned with stirring up debate, with causing people to doubt, or with downright causing or aiding and abetting unbelief than in really helping anyone out. But as I said, it's a question that we all need to answer. And for me, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents took me to church every Sunday. When I was in my early childhood, I don't think there was a time when the church doors were open that my family was not present. And I learned a lot about the Bible stories and I I learned a lot about Jesus Christ, but there came a point when I was almost five years old where well, I had to answer this question for myself. Because my grandfather died and I uh, asked my mom, I said, did he go to heaven? And she said, well, I don't know if he went to heaven because I don't know what he thought of Jesus Christ. I don't know what his answer was to the question, who is Jesus? And at that point I started to think about my own mortality, the brevity of life. Kind of a weird thought for a five year old, but, but I, I was thinking about this and how eventually I would have to answer that question. And as a result, I, uh, bowed the knee to the Lord as my personal savior when I was, well, just before my fifth birthday. I think it was April of 1984. That was the best decision I ever made. And I, I, I would like to be able to tell you that I had no struggles from then on out. I would like to be able to tell you, folks, that everything was rosy and that I never struggled with who I was or what I was doing here on this earth. But... If I told you that, I would, first of all, probably be the only one in this room to actually say that about myself. Because we've all had doubts. And I would be telling you one of the biggest lies ever. Because my whole life, for the next nine years anyway, and, and to a smaller degree after that, has been one struggle after another, Answering that very question. Is God who he says he is, and can I trust him? See, so see, there was a man, and if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 4, we're going to talk about a couple different encounters that people had with God first gentleman we're going to talk about is a gentleman that I relate to very much and that is Moses. Now if you know anything about Moses you know that he was the son of Hebrew slaves. He was hid in the bulrushes for three months I believe and when he could no longer be hid his mom put him on the river, the Nile. Where he was picked up by the mother, or no, the daughter of the Pharaoh, and adopted as a prince of Egypt. And then he was raised in Egypt, and through some certain circumstances, he left Egypt and ends up 40 years leading sheep on the back of the desert. Till one day, he sees a bush that's burning. I don't know about you, but my family burns wood every winter to heat our home and so, and we usually go through um, a certain amount of wood every year. I don't know, I think it's a couple cords, but anyway, the wood gets used up and we have to buy more or chop more and be ready for the next round. But there was something unique about this burning bush in that it wasn't burning up. It didn't consume, it just burned. And Moses says, I'm going to turn aside and see why this bush is burning, but not burning up. So he does, and God talks to him out of the bush. And he says, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. So Moses got the answer to the first question right because he made himself available to God. But as we continue to think about the story, we know that he wasn't really prepared to deal with the consequences of his availability. Because as the next chapter or so goes on, we see him arguing with the Lord. And he says to the Lord, when the Lord says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt, he says, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, (coughs) (coughs) or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord?" Now therefore, go, and I will be with you, and I will be your mouth, be with thy mouth, and I will teach you what to say. The first thing I want to say to you tonight is that one of the worst things you can do is something that I did for nine years of my life, and that is to argue with God, because when you open your mouth to argue with God, He already has the answer to every one of your arguments. And we can tell from this passage that he did with Moses. Because Moses says, I am not eloquent. And, you know, I find this kind of interesting because there's a verse in the book of Acts that kind of alludes to the fact that when Moses was in Egypt, he wanted to save his people then. He was in a position of influence and you would think that that would be the time that God would use him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But I think the point here is that Moses needed to be taken down a peg before he could be used by God. Because Moses' thoughts when he was in Egypt were probably that he was doing pretty good for himself. That he was the prince of Egypt, that he was probably uh, second or third in command to the pharaoh himself, and that he could pretty much garner anything that he wished by the power of his word because of his position of influence. And so what does God do? He leads him out to the back of the desert where he is in charge of sheep. And if you know anything about sheep... Sheep are some of the dumbest animals that the Lord ever created. And I think that's why we are compared to sheep, because we, although we are intelligent, although we are made in the image of God, we make some of the same mistakes that sheep do, and we desperately need a shepherd. But anyway, as we go on through this passage... I am kind of lost as to the exact verse. But, and I had it right before I started, but at one point in this passage, and I would encourage you to read it for yourself, Moses says, if the children of Israel ask me, who sent? you, who am I to say you are? What is your name? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. Now that's a pretty definitive statement because he didn't give a normal name like you or I would give. He didn't say Charlie or Bill or Steve. He said, I am. It's also interesting that He didn't say, I was. He didn't say, I will be. He said, I am. Because He's eternal. Because He was there at the foundations of the world. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that everything was made by Him and without Him was, was nothing made that was made. And I want to direct you before I continue with my own testimony to the book of John in the New Testament. Chapter 8 the end of the book of John, chapter 8. And we'll see thousands of years later, probably four or six thousand years later, Jesus is walking on the earth and He makes an absolutely, amazingly, astounding statement. And then, after I read this, I will finish up my own testimony on my journey, but I thought this was so neat. In John chapter 8, near the end of the chapter, Jesus says, I'm going to start with verse 53. The people... One thing you'll notice about the book of John is that the people who were around when Jesus was walking this earth, they would constantly ask Him who He was or who sent Him. He would answer them. They would disagree. They would fight it. And then before you knew it, they were asking again. And this is one of those occasions. It says... You know He's talking about not seeking His own glory, but honoring His Father. And in verse 53, it says, Art thou greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me of whom... Ye say that He is your God. Yet ye have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I should say I know Him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know Him and keep His saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And, <laughs> and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word was Jesus Christ. He spent 33 years as a carpenter in Nazareth. But make no mistake, He was there at the foundation of the world. It even says in Proverbs, "What?" in speaking of God, it says, what is His name? And what is His Son's name if you know? Well, my friends, we we live in a wonderful time. A time where we have the privilege to know that His name is Jesus Christ. (laughs) and I'm just going to pull out one more passage real quick. I never get tired of the Word of God. Um, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, Jesus is about ready to go to the cross for us and he goes to the garden, and the people and the priests come after him, and Judas with the detachment of the guard. Verse four says, "Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye?" They answered, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus saith unto them, I am. As soon as He had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. I often wonder what it would have been like to be there that day. I often wonder if any of those guards maybe rethought things. Have you realized that this man was not going to come unless he wanted to come? The Bible says Jesus said in John chapter 10 <coughs> I the good shepherd give my life for the sheep. He says of his life no man takes my life from me. I believe Lay it down and can take it up again. And we know that he did that because he died an awful death, was buried in a new tomb, and three days later the stone was rolled away. You know I used to when I was a little kid, I used to think, well, the angels came down to roll it away so that Jesus could get out but I've come to realize they didn't roll it away so that Jesus could get out because He walked right through the walls of the upper room. They rolled it away so that we could get in. So that we could see that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And He lives and moves. And in Him we live and move and have our being. And He has a purpose for every time in history and that is something that I came to realize and back to my story when I was 14 years old I was a very bitter ornery young man I knew that Jesus was uh, coming for me and I just couldn't get wait to get out of this world and there's nothing wrong with longing for heaven let me tell you I, I long for it every day Probably not as much as I should. But it was to the point of being ungrateful for where God had me. And through a series of events, the lowest downward spiral of which was when my beautiful baby brother died in his sleep when I was 13 and he was three months A time in which I remember sobbing in my mom's arms and saying, God, why, or mom, why did God take him and leave me when he was a perfectly healthy baby boy and I am utterly useless? Why did God do that? And I couldn't imagine feeling any worse than I felt at that time. But God led me through that time and the next summer I went to a conference and they talked about ten things that you wish you could change about your life but can't. And one of those things was the way that God made me physically and as I began to grapple with this and as the speaker was speaking that day you know and I have to say I've been to this conference a few times I think I had heard it once or twice before I don't know maybe it was the first time I don't remember the concept certainly wasn't but it was presented in such a way that day That I finally got it. And I finally realized that God didn't need to change me from the outside. He needed to change me from the inside. And that day, Jesus Christ spoke to me. Oh, not in an audible voice, but as close to audible as I've ever heard. And he said. I want to use you. I have things for you to do. Will you trust me? And at that point, I didn't know what it would mean, but I told him that I would share Christ with whoever He put in my path. Do I 100% fulfill that today? No, I don't. I fail. But you know what? God forgives me, and He continues to give me opportunities to share Christ with Him, with others, for Him. I recently officially started a ministry called Speaking for Him, and uh, that's exactly what I intend to do with the rest of my life. Things are starting out a little slower than I would have imagined, but um, I'm trying to be content looking for God's direction in many areas of my life. And I really feel like the last couple of years, I've kind of started to digress a little bit until the last six months where I was starting to feel some of the same feelings that I'd felt as a 14-year-old boy. where The devil was starting to say, You're useless. What? Why are you trying to fool yourself and others? You're useless. And God has had to pull me up by my bootstraps and say to me, you've been preaching this message for 14 years. Now live it. Now believe it. I know for some people, they're scared about a commitment to Jesus Christ because they think, oh, I'll mess up. Listen, Jesus Christ does not demand that you come to Him perfectly. He only demands that once you've come to Him, you don't stay the same person you were before you did. I'll even go so far as to say that if you truly trust Jesus Christ with your life, it is impossible for you to stay the same. And even those who reject Christ still do not stay the same as they were before they met Him. Everyone who encounters Christ will have a change in their life. The question is, will you reject Him? Or will you accept Him? And for those of us who are believers, there's still questions for us to answer. Because we have this problem of putting our God in a box and saying, God, I'll trust You this far, but I'm not going to trust You all the way. And for me, as I've taking these tentative steps toward full-time ministry. And Ivor and Dave have been a big help in that. Their encouragement. and Some projects that uh, we're beginning to work on that I'm sure you'll get more information on. as Time goes on. And I've been reminded of something Ivor said earlier. He said we're not to walk this road alone. You know, that's one thing that I've made a commitment of as I've pursued full-time ministry is that this ministry isn't about me. It's about Him. That's why you won't find my name on the ministry title. And you'll find me partnered with people like Dave and Ivor because it's not about me. It's about Him and I'm... I'm convinced that we can do more together than we ever could apart. And God has great timing and when He brings people together, He does it for a purpose. And I know that I am here for such a time as this. The story of Esther has been a big encouragement to me as I've struggled through this earthly life because, you know, as technology has gotten better, Babies that have been born, even some a little earlier than me, have been completely normal as they've grown up. And it would be easy for me to say if I had just been born a little later, or if technology had just been a little more advanced, maybe I wouldn't have these struggles. And in my weaker moments, I do say that. But the reality is, I was born such a time as this. And I would not want to be born any other time because God the Master Craftsman is weaving me into the tapestry of His story. And He has a place for you in His story. And I would encourage you to find that place and embrace it. Don't run. I I ran for nine years. I tried to give God the same load of baloney that Moses did. I said, God, send someone else. God, if You would just give me this better body. I can't even get out of bed by myself, God. But He said, Go, and I will be with your mouth and I will show you what to say. You see, God uses broken and useless people. He doesn't choose the cream of the crop. When He chose the King of Israel, the King that was after His own heart, He chose the eighth born Son. If you know anything about families, especially in the Old Testament times, blessings were passed down from the father to the oldest son to the next oldest. And by the time they got to the eighth, there was probably nothing left. But God didn't care where David was in his biological line. He rejected David's older brothers. They were strong physically. They had all the attributes that you would think a king would have. But God said, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. That's my paraphrase, but anyway, that's what He did with Saul. Saul had all the earthly attributes of a king, but it wasn't what God wanted. God said, I've chosen David. And in Acts we learn, not only was David God's choice, but David was a man with a heart after God's. When you think about Gideon, he was the least of the least. He was the least of the least tribe. And he was hiding in a wine press, threshing, threshing wheat because he was afraid of his enemies. And God said, I want you to deliver your people out of the hand. Of the Midianites. And then 33,000 people came up to fight with Gideon. And God said, That's too many. For if the people win the victory with this many people, then they will think about how great they are. And I don't know if you know the story, but eventually it gets down to 300 men. And Gideon has to be thinking. You're nuts, God. I can't believe you're doing this to me. And before, let me, to backtrack a little bit, it's interesting to note that before Gideon even gets up the courage to do anything that God says, God tells him, God speaks to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not have felt like a mighty man of valor sitting there in that wine press that day. And I certainly wouldn't have thought that when my 33,000 people army dwindled down to 300. But we know the story that when the Israelites went up against the Midianites and they broke their pitchers and they screamed at the top of their lungs, the sword of the Lord is of Gideon! that that Midianite army began fighting amongst themselves, and they turned tail and run, and they were defeated that day, not by 300 men, but by a mighty God, who with anyone is a majority. Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, took 12 men. He didn't take the Pharisees, he didn't take the leaders of the day. He took fishermen and tax collectors. And it says in Acts that they turned the world upside down for God. All God needs to turn the world upside down is people like you and me who are dedicated to fighting alongside Him. Or more accurately, allowing Him to fight through us. Because it's not our battle, it's the Lord's. I'm reminded of another story where Jesus came. It's the Old Testament, so He's called the angel of the Lord, but He comes to Joshua. Right before is going to fight one of His battles, and, he... <laughs> and Joshua says, Whose side are you on? Are you for us or against us? He said, I neither come to be for you or against you, but as commander of the army of the Lord God of Israel. And it says that Joshua took off his shoes and bowed down and knelt before him. And we know that angels aren't worthy of worship. But rather than stop him, The commander of the army of the Lord of hosts accepts it. Why? Because He was God. He was God. He was worthy. I want to challenge you tonight. You know, some people say that Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He had some great teachings. He made sense. But folks, Jesus Christ called Himself God because He was God. And you know what? If you don't believe that He was God, then you have to call Him a liar. And if He was a liar, then He couldn't be a good teacher because good teachers don't lie. They tell the truth. And He did more than tell the truth. He was the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. You can choose to do with these words what you want. But if you want heaven, then you'll accept Him. If you want heaven, you'll accept Him. You know, I would love to be able to tell you that if you accept Him, all of your troubles and cares will be over. But that's not true. I've had some of the roughest years that I can remember having. In the last few, I've had A couple young ladies that I was seriously interested in wanted to contemplate a, a future with them and tried to do things in a good and godly way. And, but as soon as they found out that I was interested, they turned the other way and seemed to go as fast as they could in the opposite direction. That's not easy. I've been trying for quite a while before I fully surrendered to ministry to get a full-time job because I knew that as a man it was my responsibility to prepare to be a provider for my family. And so many people have looked at me and I even sometimes feel this in my current job that they look at me and they, they... don't think I can handle the responsibility. The government certainly doesn't. They would be much more happy with me right now if I would sit on my sofa every day and while away the hours watching movies or doing some such thing. But God called me to something greater than that. He called me to be a man. And he called me to quit making excuses and start asking him what he wanted me to do. One of my favorite speakers is David Ring. And if you ever have a chance, look him up. Watch his sermons. One of the things he often says is, don't ask why, ask what. I'll admit I've asked why plenty of times even in the last couple of years. And I think why, to a certain extent, is not wrong. But there's definitely a point where we need to stop asking why. Why didn't things work out the way we wanted to? Why am I struggling in this area or that area? And just start asking God, what is it that you want me to do? So where am I at right now? In May of 2006, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in communications, which some would say was a miracle in and of itself because I started out in special education and they were constantly downplaying my potential and my parents finally had enough and pulled me out of the public school system, best thing they ever did for me. And in 2006, I graduated with a 3.9 GPA and got my bachelor's degree in communications. And uh, I worked for ten and a half years as a telemarketer for Right to Life of Michigan. I've been very passionate about that cause too, because the Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I was born at six months gestation. 33% of all abortions take place at six months or later in a pregnancy. And yet I sit here today as a living testimony that babies of that age are indeed alive. They are indeed unique creations of our Almighty God. And I will continue to fight for them in one way or another as long as I can. I'm also, as I said, working on my speaking for Him ministry, looking for more and more churches to speak to, contemplating the possibility of maybe getting involved in uh, doing some commencement for high school graduations maybe some father son opportunities because i have a real passion for manhood we live in a culture that does not respect the differences between men and women that god in his unique and creative way gave to us we need as men stand up and be men and not be ashamed of it. We need to be willing to protect our families. To guide them. And we need to stop being the kind of men that back down from a challenge. For women, I believe that you are the greatest gift that God could have ever given to us as men. And I believe that so often we take that for granted. And I, I want to tell you that I appreciate you. For any of you that are mothers, I appreciate that so much. My mom was a stay-at-home mom of 11. I was the oldest of those children. And some people think it's kind of stupid that she stayed at home and never had a career, but I've told more than one person, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, that I don't believe you've ever worked until you've been a full-time mom. And as a result of my mom's dedication, she will now have the potential to affect 11 different families for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you think about the fact that the children of Israel started with 12, the possibilities for impacting our society are amazing. If the Lord is willing, I, I um, am praying that He will give me a wife. I'm praying that I'll be worthy of her. That I'll be prepared to be the husband that I need to be, to be the father of my children that I need to be. Because I'm praying for a full quiver of those as well. We're at a time in our country where everything goes. As long as you're sincere. But God painted things in black and white and He knew what He was doing. So I just want to close by encouraging you to be who God made you to be and don't be afraid of it. Don't wish you could be something else. I've wasted time doing that. I know what that's like. I just wanted to let you know that right now, as far as my ministry needs go, I'm raising money to hopefully purchase a new van come spring. My current van has just a shade under 260 thousand miles and uh, is nine years old so it's hopefully going to last me a little while longer but not much and if you feel so minded there is a link on my website to give donations Um, you can also um, give donations directly to me I want to assure you that I am making a full accounting of donations that I receive and that everyone who partners with me will have a very clear report from me as to where that money is going. I can also assure you that my friend Dave is helping me in this endeavor so I have accountability. I'm not attempting to go my own way in this. I'm attempting to be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to me. Because He said that if you are faithful in little, you will be faithful also in much. And it may be tempting as the world gets darker to kind of hang on and wait for the Lord to come back. And believe me, I'm excited for that day because on that day, I'll get a new body. I'll finally be able to kneel. And when I kneel for the first time, it will be before my Lord and Savior when I confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm excited for that day. But we must remember that when things get darker, we have to grab bigger lights. If you were out in the woods and it was dark
1: and all you had
0: was one of those little pen flashlights, cast a little beam and your friend had one of those big flashlights that was, I don't know, 150 or 200 times that, which would you rather have? You'd rather have the bigger light. We're told to let our light shine before men that people may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so as the darkness seeps in and as it becomes more and more prevalent to accept darkness, to go our own way, to be morally relative, to say that Jesus might be a way, but quite possibly there's other ways. May we have a renewed dedication to letting people know that there is a way out of darkness. It's through I AM. The same I am who is with Moses on the mountain. The same I am who is speaking to the Pharisees in the courtyard. And the same I am who is arrested and beaten and battered because I'm a sinner. Because I went my own way. Because I'm selfish. And because each one of us has a sentence of death hanging over our heads. I'll close with this illustration. There was a ship builder. He was very good at what he did. and He was hired to build a ship. And in April of 1912, it set out on its maiden voyage. That ship was called the Titanic. And there was a sign on that ship that said not even God could sink this ship. And they were so confident that this ship would stay afloat that they took some of the lifeboats that were supposed to be on that boat and they took them off and left them in port because they wanted more room for people. And... One chilly night in April, that ship hit an iceberg and started to go down. And people had to climb aboard lifeboats. Now, I don't know if there were any people like this on board. I would imagine there might have been a couple who said, well, they they told us this ship could never sink. So, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to have a grand old time. But they had to get on board if they wanted to be saved. They had no control over the fact that the ship was sinking. They only had control over the fact that they needed to go. And even in that case, there was a testimony of great love. Because for the most part, the men stayed on board and watched their wives and their children climb on board those lifeboats. And it was the last time many of them saw each other. And those men went down with that ship and died for the sake of their women and children. I believe that we as men need to have a similar attitude. We need to be willing to die for our women and children. But even more importantly is the fact that we serve a God who had that attitude about us. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet without strength, Christ died The ungodly. So it comes back to the question I started the evening with. As we close Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man? Certainly he was that, but remember what Jesus said when somebody called him good? He said, Why do you call me good? No man is good but God alone. Was He a healer? Yes, this is true. Was He a preacher? Yes, He preached boldly. But more than any of those things, He was, is, and always will be the Son of the Living God. And in a moment in time, for reasons we cannot understand, he stepped out of heaven and confined himself to a human body. And the Bible tells me in the Book of Revelation that he stayed there, and that I will see him, I will look on him who my pierced. And he walked abroad among us for thirty-three years. He was a teenager. I mean, I find that hard to fathom. He knew what it was like to be a teenager. He was a young man. He was a carpenter. He did a trade. As a matter of fact, some people thought he was just a carpenter because they said, it's not just the carpenter from Nazareth. And then... For three years, He went about healing and teaching. And after that, He was nailed to a cross for crimes He didn't commit between two thieves. One of them said, if you're Christ, come down and save us too. They both kind of had that attitude. But after a while, the other one said, this man is different. This man is the Son of God. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, we're not guaranteed tomorrow economically, physically, or any of that. But we are guaranteed that if we cry out to God in faith, trusting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that He will save us and being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for your attention tonight. I hope, as I hope for myself, that we will leave today different people than when we came. I'd like to end with a simple plea. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and love more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus that as Andrew has used his, his gift, we really, he really to sit before the Father, working through him. And uh, I just want to thank him, but really I just want to thank God. So. I'll see-